Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. So Cheryl and I thought that in this episode, we would just kind of explore where we find light in darkness, how we comfort or soothe ourselves when we are struggling, when we're stressed, when we're anxious. I told Cheryl, I've been thinking about this in terms of like, what are the cradles, the nests, the anchors, and the North Stars Mm. that I hold close? We are coming to this episode. I don't want to speak for you, Cheryl, but I know that I'm feeling like a little frazzled. Mm. I've had just a lot going on in my work life, in my personal life, a lot of different stressors, good things too, but just like a lot, a lot of trying to like give a lot of output. And so I'm coming to this episode just feeling a little shaky and tender, but I'm hopeful that just doing this will be nourishing and maybe even kind of reignite some energy for me in Mm. a way. Mm. So recently, I went on a big trip. Me and Martin went to Kauai, which is one of the islands of Hawaii. And it's a a big trip from New Jersey. I think it's like 5,000 miles or something. (laughs) The whole trip, like door to door, getting from our home to the hotel in Kauai took like maybe 21, 22 hours, something like that. Mm. I don't like flying very much. Um, I tend to be a nervous traveler. Mm. And during COVID, it's a little extra challenging for me. It was only my second time doing a plane trip since 2019. And so I was really nervous. And I was nervous about getting COVID on the way there and then just having to like quarantine the whole time. Um, I was nervous about, as I shared with you, Cheryl, I became really fixated on the the potential for a tsunami to occur. Mm. So that was an interesting fixation that 
occurred to my brain and then was very hard for me to let go of. Mm -hmm. So before the trip, a few days before, I posted on Instagram asking people, what media do you find delightful, comforting, and soothing that you would recommend for for the plane, for waiting in the airport? And people shared so many beautiful recommendations. A couple of people said gathering gold (laughs) is soothing to them. And funnily enough, I did listen to, before leaving, I listened to our travel anxiety episode. And the next day, I listened to our separation anxiety episode. And both of them, but particularly the separation anxiety one, interestingly enough, Hmm. were really helpful, which I found kind of funny, but (laughs) they were. Mm -hmm. And also, I will just say, literally just picturing the people that I have met through Gathering Gold, like the people that I've connected with on Instagram or through the Patreon meetups, like when I picture telling the Gathering Gold audience like about my fear or my anxiety or insecurity, I picture just like the most compassionate response ever. (laughs) And it actually really helps me. Mm. It genuinely really helps me. So beautiful. And so, yeah, I brought close to my chest, you know, Gathering Gold and the Gathering Gold community and Mm. some other things like music, a TV show that I downloaded onto Martin's Kindle, you know, in the airport lounge, mm-hmm. things like that. And and I actually was pretty calm, all things considered, on the plane rides and um, waiting for a delayed flight on the way home, all that stuff. Mm. So Cheryl, I would love to hear where your mind is right now as we start this episode. Mm. Well, first off, I'm so happy you're back. And (laughs) it's, I'm just sitting here in candlelight. It's very dark outside with my eyes closed, listening to your beautiful voice. There's such a rich tone in your voice, Victoria. Yeah. It's like listening to guitar music or something. (laughs) It's, it's, you have a really beautiful speaking voice and singing voice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so- I'm just enjoying hearing you find your way through the explaining what the topic is going to be and sharing that story and also appreciating your way with words, your facility with words. So I too have been a bit wobbly. Um, In recent weeks, I posted on Instagram about this time that we're in, this portal, this veil-thinning time that I'm hearing a lot about from the people that I work with, the the change in time, the increase in darkness in this hemisphere. I think November is a liminal month. It's like October – it's still, we still have a lot of warm days. The leaves are still on the trees. There's, we still have the light. And then November and boom, 
It's like darkness is here. Winter is here, even though it's not officially here until December 21st, but we're in that steep descent of losing light each day. And then we just lose another hour just like that because somebody decided that that's how it goes. And it's my birthday month. So I always feel some portal, liminal, wobbly energy, but I have been feeling it more so lately. And it's, there's been a particular grappling with another layer of my relationship to darkness. And I have been a great lover of darkness in literal and metaphoric sense. So much of my work is about going into the darkness, going into the unconscious, going into the places, the shadow realms that a lot of people don't like to talk about and sort of taking the cover off and exposing it to light and saying, look, here, this is actually what's happening when you are in transition or about to get married or have become a new parent or whatever it is. So it's been interesting to deepen my relationship to darkness, and I can't say it's been entirely fun. It hasn't. And in this wobbly, shaky descent, and what I know in my soul is also an initiation, and I don't quite know into what yet, but I recognize it as such. I have been called to turn to what steadies me, what reminds me of the flame inside of me, the light inside of me, what connects me to light, what anchors me, um, that North Star. When you said that before we started recording and I said, right, it's that the Star of Bethlehem, it's we all have that place that North Star, that brilliant star that orients us. And so, again, hearkening the stories of this time, I too have listened to a couple of our episodes, um, in particular the one on winter. And finding it sweet kind of tickling me that we both have turned to our own selves for some guidance and wisdom, for some light. And I know this to be true of everybody, that everybody has that storehouse of wisdom inside of them. I'll, I'll hear it in my clients and my course members, something like, oh, I just read this journal from 20 years ago, and gosh, I was there was so much wisdom there. Right? We carry that. So what I have primarily turned to, what's well, been many, many things, music, certain songs in particular. And for me, when I'm, when I'm really grappling with something, it's Judaism, it's Jewish spirituality that steadies me, that reminds me, that connects me to light, to meaning, 
to purpose, to orientation. And so there's been a real bolstering up of my practices, my morning practice, my evening practice, and then the practice that has felt particularly important. And it's one that years ago I felt a yearning and a longing for. And I think it's one of the hardest practices to commit to is is the afternoon into evening just before sunset because it requires stepping out of the hustle and bustle of the day. All of the things that pull us, grab our attention. And that's the one that is calling me. And my the land is calling to me, our land. So I don't have it all worked out yet by any means, what, what this time is about for me. Um, it's very rich and alive, and there's also been moments when it's felt scary. But what I know is, what I know is that when I sit and pray, when I listen to these particular songs, when I sing along with them and sing out, when I move in my space, when I dance, when I let my body respond and move with this energy that is moving in me, when I write, because writing for me is a deep touchstone, when I turn to these ancient practices and prayers from my lineage that I came to only as an adult, that the light brightens. They light my way. There's been a lot of lighting of candles, candles, are are literal light, of course, but they are also spiritual light. They evoke a different presence than turning on an overhead light, an electrical light. So candles have been a source of light. My cat, always, but particularly now. Being in the company of women, female friendship, we had our New Moon Group, a couple of days ago. In fact, tonight may actually be the new moon that we're recording in. So we're in the darkest dark at the moment. (sighs) Um, And friendship, friendship is light. Connection is light. Playing games is light. Laughter is light. So it's not only things like music and poetry has been a lifeline for me throughout my life. It saved my life in my 20s when I was first initiated in that first descent into anxiety and panic attacks. And at each portal, poetry has been there. Different poets have spoken to me in a different way in different times. 
right now it's Mary Oliver and her poems about night. I wish so badly I could read one of them. But her words are reminders. They are so filled with light, the goodness of the world and the natural world, but also what the places we can't, we don't see. what is embedded in the natural world, what what it evokes in us. While you were talking, I just found myself thinking about the scene and the song from The Sound of Music where Maria sings my favorite things. (sighs) You know, the kids are all scared of the thunderstorm, even the 16-year-old, you know, (laughs) even the 14-year-old boy, whatever. They come running into her room. Yes. And then she sings my favorite things. And it's it's such a like, Mm. it's so well-known at this point. It's so deep in so many people's, you know, psyche that it seems it's like a cliche but when you like really take a step back and Mm. think about the lyrics of those of that song um, and all the things that she names yes I feel like Liesl like under the covers (laughs) with Maria yes I love that (laughs) yes these are a few of my favorite things and it is quite poignant I'm going to watch that scene again when we stop recording Mm. of the thunder that primal fear of the storm. And then there's, there she is, gathering everybody around, just like we sometimes have to gather our scared little inner parts around and bringing in the goodness, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Like, what could be better? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's funny is, thinking about like the material things, you know, like I was telling you, Cheryl, that in the past, I've mentioned this before. I talked about it in perennials episodes, Hmm. either podcast, how, I don't know, in my 20s, I just feel like I had this thing about like, I need to basically try to be like a monk or a nun And if I can't like just meditate my way through 24 hours of traveling, Mm. I'm not doing it right. (laughs) Right. Oh, so harsh. And it's like, I believe there's a fine line or I I believe that there's, there's there's some line, I guess, between, I guess, maybe over-reliance on, on too many things to distract you or numb you or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum is just like just giving myself such a hard time mm. when, you know, like I downloaded a few episodes of the show Heartland, which I've talked about before <laughs> in this podcast. Yes. I I think I watched like three episodes of that on one of the plane rides and like it made it go by so much faster. And I was of like, course. why didn't I why didn't I do that? It took Martin being like, here's my Kindle. Here's my Netflix password. Download your show. Just download. Mm. 
Yes. Download Heartland and the Great British Baking Show. It'll really help you. And it did. Um, But then there are like the less tangible things that are also really important and really helpful in our separation anxiety. Or no, I think in our travel anxiety episode, I talked about wanting to be like a turtle who could feel at home, like with a with a shell on my back mm. in a good way where I mm. could like mm. feel at home wherever I go because I have built up my own kind of inner protection. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing that I think is really helpful for people when you talk about poetry is memorizing things. Yes. For my poetry workshop in college, my professor had us all memorize and recite a poem. Mm. And it just came to me while you were talking. I think I can read this one because I think it's probably in the public domain. Mm. I could be wrong, but I'm going to take the risk. I Ooh, think it's okay. I'm excited. <laughs> it's called Chamomile Tea by Catherine mm. Mansfield. Outside the sky is light with stars. There's a hollow roaring from the sea. And alas, for the little almond flowers, the wind is shaking the almond tree. How little I thought, a year ago, in that horrible cottage upon the lea, that he and I should be sitting so, and sipping a cup of chamomile tea. Light as feathers the witches fly, the horn of the moon is plain to see. By a firefly under a jonquil flower, a goblin toasts a bumblebee. We might be fifty, we might be five, so snug, so compact, so wise are we. Under the kitchen table leg, my knee is pressing against his knee. Our shutters are shut, the fire is low, the tap is dripping peacefully. The saucepan shadows on the wall are black and round and plain to see. just came to me because it's literally called chamomile tea which is yes. like the most soothing tea <laughs> and yes. I like the the image of light in the dark like yes. being in this little cottage there's a storm outside or you know wind and and she's remembering like how little I thought a year ago in that horrible other cottage mm. that today I would be with him and sipping chamomile tea like mm. this um she was somewhere worse and now she's somewhere better and Mm. they're snug and compact and cozy (laughs) a few things come to mind the turtle image and wanting to be so resourced in that inner way that we can be at home anywhere in the world but what also comes to mind is how we can create and bring with us some of our reminders, some of our touchstones and North Stars when we travel and when we are feeling uprooted, even in our own home. And one of the things that has become even more heightened and more important for me in these last few weeks are my altars. Um, I have an altar in my studio where I am right now. And then I have this other altar that I've created 
in the bathroom window above the tub. And we don't use that tub. And so the tub sort of has become like a little meditation nest. And what lines the windowsill are photographs, very old photographs of my ancestors. My grandmother and her two sisters, my grandfather's sister, um, even my great-grandmother, my female, my female line, some other little artifacts, two statues of goddesses that my friend Carrie had sent me years and years ago are on either side of the photo, so it, it contains them. And then three candles in the middle. And that has become another touchstone, another place of light to go and climb into that tub, light the candles, see the faces of my grandmother. I just call them all my grandmothers. Sometimes I'll be able to entice Asher to come and sit with me and say a little prayer and maybe ask for help with something that he's struggling with. And so it's it's kind of like a turtle shell, right? It's a way of bringing those faces, those relationships to life, to light, to candlelight. It's not long that I sit there because it's not that comfortable to sit in a bathtub with no water in it, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to close out the day. And I think about times when we've had to evacuate because we live in, well, the time we we were close to evacuating several times because of fire danger, but the time we did evacuate was the flood in 2013. And I didn't take much. I took my talit, which is my prayer shawl. I took some of my most important books that I knew that I would need as touchstones. Um, I brought a couple of other artifacts that, that were of my heart, my spirit. So, and then I set it up when we, when we went to our new temporary destination, I set those things up. And it was a little, a little nest, a little spiritual nest, a little turtle, sh- turtle shell, a little sanctuary. And I'm also thinking about how poetry, when you started to read that poem, it both transports us like stories. They, it transports us and also, strangely, somewhat paradoxically, brings us into the moment. And I've been thinking about what are the functions of these touchstones, these lights in the darkness. And they bring me into this moment, prayer, song, movement. They bring us into this moment. And then if we spend long enough there in this moment, what can be revealed is the thing that needs to be revealed, which is often some form 
of grief. And as I've shared in other places and in the other podcasts that I did by myself, I'm in this time of grief as we are in the nine-month what has felt like birth in reverse, letting Everest, launching him into the world. It's been, I think, one of those things that people don't talk about enough, another gap in our cultural conversation, in our lack of ritual for parents, particularly the mother, I think, who, because he was attached to my body, there was an umbilical cord and there still are umbilical cords. And so when I come into these touchstones, it's, it's, it's to study and remember, but there's a, a deeper opportunity that can happen in what becomes ritual space for me. which is I am now in a womb, in a nest, feeling safe enough and held enough, supported enough, these support structures around me, inside of me, that I can weep and wail if that's the sound that needs to come out. Cheryl, that's so beautiful. And it has me thinking about another type of grief that I've been feeling this week. I think a lot of people this week that we're recording have felt grief about another shooting mm. in our country. Yes. At a gay club yes. in Colorado Springs. Mm. And it just gets me thinking about how there's like, when you talk about darkness, it's funny, I'm sitting here and I look down, I'm using this mug from a trip that Martin and I did to Luray Caverns in Virginia, like six Mm. years ago. These huge caverns that you walk in and there's, you know, there's lights so you can actually see the stalagmites, stalactites. Mm there's there's kinds of darkness where it, it feels like there's there's richness and there's things to be found and there's mm. gold alongside you know there's gold glittering in the dark and then there's darkness that's just hell yes yes no there's no words and <sighs> and that's real that's a reality and it doesn't I think it's important to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in my personal life, someone that I'm very close to is going through a season of darkness that is just very dark. Mm. Yes. And painful. And there's a lot of suffering. And so I think what you're saying about allowing for the grief and sometimes the wailing, like we talked about this in our world pain episode, but I think it can go for um, personal pain as well, depending on what someone's going through, Mm -hmm. allowing for grief, wailing, anger, 
um, yes. feels really important too to just acknowledge and to allow for. I think it's deeply important to name that piece that we can't always spin, you know, a Jungian analysis out of the dark, and we can't always. There isn't always light that comes from it. Maybe in some big picture sense, maybe. But there is just dark. There is just darkness in this world. And what I have felt in these past few weeks is this sort of intersection of the personal, my personal grief, grieving process, transition that I'm in with Everest, and very much feeling a collective grieving. It's felt palpable. Even before the shooting, because it's everywhere. And so for me, and I think for all highly sensitive people, we feel these layers. We feel it. We feel the pain of somebody's struggle in our life, even if it's not directly ours. It is still ours. If it's somebody close to us, it's still ours. We feel the collective. We feel the horror of these shootings, the nightclub, the, the one at the elementary school last earlier in the year. It is horror. And if we don't process that grief in some way, it builds up and builds up and builds up and it comes out as panic or intrusive thoughts or anxiety. And so to make of ourselves sturdy enough through whatever our practices are, whatever our touchstones, whatever, however we can strengthen and bolster so that the vessel of us is sturdy enough to to keep processing, to keep alchemizing, to keep weeping and, and wailing as it comes in, I think is part of our task and it is what I am hearing and it connects also to the past episode about there is another way that we're in this tipping point, we're in this crack, we're in this liminal place. There's so much exhaustion. There's so much frustration with the systems and the demand for productivity, feeling like we're being churned through machines, that there is a, a grief there too. And a, and a fear. I'm, I'm watching very brave people, clients, step away from the model, from the paradigm and the expectations. It's terrifying. Right? There's a fear alongside the grief. There's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of what's unfamiliar. There's a fear of the dark. 
that's real. I do find that when I am able to write, to write poetry, Mm -hmm. it is really helpful, even if, like I was telling you before we started recording, just with various things going on, I'm just in a cynical moment. (laughs) Like I just Mm -hmm. am having a cynical moment. And sometimes even just being able to write that down and express it with images and metaphors. Yes. Like even if it's not the most hopeful poem or inspiring <laughs> poem, it's helpful to get all the feelings down. Like so many poets, I've heard so many poets say writing the thing that you're afraid of is so powerful or the mm. thing that you're afraid to feel or to say. That's it's true, and it doesn't have to be neat and tidy. It doesn't have to be something you even show anybody, but I yes. think it can be really helpful. Mm. Poetry is medicine, whether you are reading it, reciting it, memorizing it, writing it. It is medicine, and it it has this transformative quality to it where when you can name the metaphor and like you're saying, write the fears, move toward the fears or what you're afraid of feeling, something moves. Then we don't stay so stuck, even if the stuck comes back. In that moment, something can move. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And when I say prayer to me, I I'm inclu- I mean poetry, really. Mm. You know, that's what I'm sitting in. I'm sitting in poetry. So many of the Jewish prayers are gorgeous poems. The the, the imagery, the metaphors, but also not connected to any religion. I think that's poetry, like nature, is one of those transcenders. Right for people who struggle with religion. It's the place where we can find the same things that humans have found in religion. We can find in poetry, in music, in nature, without any of the religious language and overtones and sometimes baggage. Yeah. I think that's why it's so magical when you find a musician who is also a poet. Mm. To me, I mean, there's nothing more magical than that in the world. Mm -hmm. When I hear beautiful lyrics put with beautiful music, Mm. I'm just like, human beings are magic. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There are certain artists that whether their content is explicitly spiritual or not, Mm. it's so good for the spirit. Yes. When I was younger, I feel like um, there were a lot of George Harrison songs that I really connected with. Mm. He was 
the quiet beetle who is the most like explicitly <laughs> spiritual. Um, and he just has some songs that like all things must pass. Um, <laughs> that song, I remember being in my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college and just going through different difficult things, losing a grandparent, transitioning into college for the first time, just things mm. like that. And thinking about that idea that that idea of this too shall pass, but mm -hmm. just said in such a beautiful and moving way. Yes. So helpful to me. Mm. And that phrase in particular is one of my mantra touchstones and for my kids too. And it's this too shall pass. And in Hebrew, it's gamzeya avor. But even a phrase like that. And then when it's put to music, it does have an extraordinary power to see us through. Right? They're like totems. They're, they're magic amulets, these songs, these poems that see us through the harder times. A phrase that you said a little while ago was so beautiful. You were talking about the things that you chose to take with you when you had to evacuate. Mm. And you said you took different artifacts of the heart. Mm. I think that's how you said it, artifacts of your heart. Mm. That phrase is just sticking with me like, oh, it's such a beautiful way to think about some of those material things that mm -hmm. we surround ourselves with. Yes. Like finding the sacred yes. in those things. I think there's this, I have this weird thing where, because I'm like always trying to prepare myself for the worst, <laughs> I'm always like preparing myself for like having nothing. Like having nothing to lean on and nothing. Mm. Like I should be able to do with nothing because I, you know, who's to say what's going to happen? <laughs> so <laughs> dark. Um, but being able actually to have so much gratitude and reverence for the things that do help me through. Yes. Whether it's people, friendship, you know, music, books, a Kindle, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. a TV show, candles, mm -hmm. like actually being able to fully feel reverence and gratitude and the sacredness of those things and to just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And to allow, allow myself to receive help mm -hmm. gratefully with less bated breath. Mm. Ironically, I think because I did kind of bolster myself for the trip out to Kauai, on our last plane ride home, I didn't listen to anything. I never put my headphones on. I just read one book. Hmm. so delicious mm -hmm. and I said to you I did also try to remind myself like Victoria all you want to do 
<laughs> you know where I'm going. Yes. All you want to do on like a weekend day or whatever is sit on the couch and like watch The Great British Bake Off or read a book. And mm-hmm. that's all you can do on this plane. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go deep again. And I know we're going to close out soon, but something you said I think is important to name for anybody that might be struggling, wrestling, feeling particularly vulnerable in in this season. You said something about, I am always preparing in some way to have nothing, like everything's going to be taken from me. Yeah. And it struck me, it just hit me as perhaps some kind of ancestral intergenerational wound that's been passed down that maybe didn't start with you. Mm. And also that piece that you've mentioned a couple times of, I should be able to take a 24-hour traveling excursion and with nothing, like I'm, like I'm a monk. I should be okay <laughs> anywhere. And so there's this monk-like expectation which I think somewhat comes from the sort of new age spiritual culture that we should be okay anywhere with nothing. Um, But also maybe somewhere in your storyline, in your lineage, I think for most of us somewhere in our lineage, there was a time of nothing. Yeah. And we carry that, you know, we carry those stories and we carry those traumas. And I have felt that in my own lineage. I have felt um, places that are not mine and I don't even know if they're in my direct bloodline, but I have felt Holocaust. I have felt um, all kinds of Jewish trauma. And part of it is because of what's been happening in our country with this unleashing of anti-Semitism. But it's come in strong at times. And so to name that piece, because I think that's a pretty subtle piece to name and even recognize of could I, is that, could that be part of what is in me and living in me? You know, what we can name, we can begin to work with and shine light on and hopefully ultimately heal and transform. And I do believe that when we do any of those layers of healing for for wounds that did not begin with us, traumas that are not directly ours, that we are healing for the generations that came before us and the ones that come after us. So that's in the field as well right now. If you have some sense of that, you are not alone. It's important. It's scary territory. You know, I don't know that we have a lot of roadmaps and guidance and eldering to navigate through that very well, but I don't know that we have to either because. Like we started with, we all have our own wisdom and there is wisdom all around us. 
There are lights, there are guideposts. There are touchstones, there are nests, there are cradles, there are lighthouses. And finding which ones speak to you, trusting that. Trusting the music, the poems, the prayers, the practices, the movement, the gestures. that bring you home, that guide you, that shine a light on the path in front of you, not the whole path, but the one right in front of you. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm. Thank you, Victoria.